0: To the Live Out Loud podcast with River Wynn and Michelle Flamer.
1: Hi, River.
0: Good morning, Michelle. How are you? <laughs> I am good. I've got my coffee and I'm Yay. ready for the day. <laughs> you have
1: a good <laughs> smile on your face. Are you excited about today's conversation? I am. I think it's going to be a really, really fun conversation. What right, you? as you say, as you say, we might get juicy. <laughs> It
0: might get juicy, yes.
1: <laughs> so uh, we're super psyched. We have Samantha here, the lesbian curiosity coach. And um, don't be uh, jealous of our gray hair, River, because yours is so like amazing and red. But we are rocking our grays.
0: <laughs> oh, there's gray underneath this red hair dye. <laughs> there is, okay. Well, there let's is. uh Samantha, welcome to Live Out Loud. How are you?
2: I'm good. Hi. I'm so happy to be here. I'm Thanks so for ha- being here.
1: <laughs> I know. It's it's awesome that you're here. So I would love for you to tell with your own words, because I think you'll say it way better than I will, uh, like where you came from, uh, like how you started uh, in this industry and as a practicing therapist, what. I just would love to hear your journey a little bit, and so that everybody who's never met you before or seen you on the TikTok, the Instagram, you know, wherever people may find you, uh, and so, yeah, I just want to introduce you to everybody, so go for it.
2: Yeah, uh, sure, so let's see, well, I would say I've always been a very curious human, um and that started very early um with growing up in a family where i was kind of like what is happening around here why are these people married to each other and you know why is there so much fighting and you know and i'm supposed to do this thing too but why and so but like really really curious in a quiet way and just kind of watching dynamics and mm. being very confused um, you know, even by like what I like to call the conveyor belt life, which is just like what you're supposed to do and, you know, and, and all of that. So, um, I would say that that led me to, um, I was like a very free spirited young person until I realized I hit around 24 and I was like, okay, I like, you know, went to college. I was a psych major. I graduated. I lived in Europe for a few years when all my friends were going to grad school and starting jobs. I was like, no, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just, I'm out of the box. I'm out of the box. I'm out of the box, not sexuality wise, but just, you know, living wise, not doing what's expected of me. Mm -hmm. And then I came back and I kind of landed in like, okay, well, I guess it's time to get on the conveyor belt now because I'm 24 <laughs> and I'm getting a job and like I don't really know what else to do. Oh, you're such
1: an old maid at that
2: age, right? No, just kidding. <laughs> right. I mean, exactly. So anyway, I did end up getting married, um, at 27 to a man, um, and had started going back to school, um to become a social worker at that time, got pregnant mm-hmm. with twins, stopped school, became a mom. I have three kids um, that now, I have twin boys that are 26 and a 23-year-old daughter. And I'm um, and basically, you know, just sort of did what was expected of me um, until 9-11 happened.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: that, living in New York City, I live in New York City, that really shook up everything for me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was doing what I was supposed to do, what I thought I was supposed to do. And just, I just couldn't anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, it just shook me up and I was like, I need, I need to live my truth. And even though it wasn't like something I said really out loud, I just started to realize that I was attracted to women and I was going to need to do something about this. So my coming out and kind of coming into my career all kind of came to, at the same time, I would say, Mm -hmm. Um, So I ended up at 32, coming out, um, leaving my marriage and going back to school to become a therapist. I ended up becoming a marriage and family therapist because that seemed more interesting to me with the (laughs) relational dynamics. And I've been in private practice um, for about 14 years and really wanted to focus on helping women coming out later just because I had gone through that. And... Over. Yeah. I, so I was doing that for that time. I did have many clients in New York that were coming out later and helping them through that, but I always really wanted to do groups and it was hard. It was hard to figure out and how do I get enough people just in New York city that are going to come and what nights are going to be. And then COVID happened. Mm -hmm. And so COVID was this time where there was a tsunami of women coming out later in life. And interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It really? I mean, it was like in droves. I've right. seen anything like it on Instagram. It was like very noticeable. And I realized, oh, my God, this is the time mm-hmm. I can work with people virtually. I don't need a space. I can do it all online. I was doing all my mm-hmm. sessions online as a therapist. And so from there, I started to develop a program to take women through really like unpacking all of the conditioning that we are packed with as, you know, females in the world and just really coming into their authentic selves around their sexuality and whatnot. So it's, I'm still a therapist. I still have a private practice. And I also have this amazingly fun and energizing coaching business, working with amazing brave women that are on this journey to even just be curious about themselves, you know, Mm -hmm. and get off of the conveyor belt life of like, I know, now I know what happens next. Now I know what happens Mm -hmm. next. Like, this way of living, which is just so deadening and instead be curious and lean into, you know, really all aspects of themselves and being authentically alive. So that is, that is, you know, that is where I am now.
1: I love I'm, that. <laughs> I'm, I'm so, I know. I love it too. I'm so curious about the whole catalyst thing. Sure. because It sounds like you didn't even have a catalyst. You kind of came to this whole thing on your own. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay.
2: I would say 9-11, not true. 9-11 was my catalyst in a way. It kind of, um, it shook me up enough to say, you just can't do this anymore. So it was one kind of catalyst. And Mm -hmm. then the next was, I actually became obsessed with my then yoga teacher, who was five years younger than me, That's had awesome. also never been with women. Mm. Um, and um, I just, I was obsessed with her for about five weeks where I, I didn't even understand what was happening. So I would come home and I would tell my husband about it. Oh, I'm wow. so obsessed with her. She's so amazing. Like, I don't know what it is about her. It's her voice. It's her music. I just, I I was following her from town to town, taking every class I could. This was out in the Hamptons. Wow. And um you know, and until it hit me that like, oh, actually, I kind of want to like touch her.
0: Uh-huh. And I was like,
2: oh, well, actually, I really kind of want to like kiss her. And then mm-hmm. I was like, oh, so she was my first relationship. Um, I was oh. in a relationship with her. I started a relationship with her, told him that I couldn't stay married after about maybe eight weeks of knowing her and went through a very litigious three year divorce. That was one of the I think one of the worst divorces I've heard about. Anyway, we lived yeah. under the same roof for three years. Um, wow. Yeah, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah. So or that or was- it's just
1: literally cocktails somewhere, you know, it's like,
2: yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, it's a dark period. Um, mm. But she stayed with me. We lived together for a few years afterwards. I moved out. We lived together with my kids, with my kids going back and forth. And then we came to a close at about five and a half years. The relationship lasted.
1: Oh, that just avalanched like 10 questions, but River, do you have anything going on? Go
2: for at- it. Go for it. You got <laughs> pressing questions there.
1: <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's just like, okay, so I'm curious as well, right? Like, I love being curious. And it's fascinating to me. First of all, I love your voice for for these later in life lesbians. Like, I think you are just such a soft landing for all of them. And And when they get to that point of like wanting to pivot and, and really dig in for themselves, I love that there's a you in the world for that. Right. And I, you know, I wish there was a lot more because I feel like they're, it's, it's still very lonely for so many people. So how did you, how did you manage, I mean, God, it must've been a lot of conversations I'm guessing, but how did you manage that? that moment where everything sort of overlapped, like you had your conversations, you were in this horrible, like divorce, you were still like falling in love and and figuring out love for yourself. Like, what is this? And then you also like connected and talked with your kids. Like, what was that? If I may ask, like, what was that conversation like?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, we're going back now. So this happened in 2002. Yeah. So my kids were very little, Um, you know, my daughter was two and my twins were five when I met my, Mm -hmm. my first partner. So there was a very organic way that she kind of just started to hang around more. Um, And the conversation with them was really about my husband and I at that time separating. So we sat them down Mm -hmm. to tell them that we were separating did not mention anything about my sexuality because they were just too young Mm -hmm. and she started to, you know, she just started to be around more and more. Mm. Um, and you know, they just got used to her and then, you know, they just would call her, you know, they, she was my partner. So Mm. they'd be like my Mm. mom and her partner, you know, and it was just very organic. Um, Mm. Yeah.
1: And then co-parenting, was that a positive I mean as of you what know, you went through? It must have been challenging.
2: It was challenging. I mean, it's, you know, it's been a challenging. I'm gonna say it's been a challenging life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in, in a lot of ways. I think I mean my kids are amazing. Um, and one of my kids is gay, which makes me so happy. Um <laughs> and um, but it's been very challenging and co-parenting with him. And his wife has, you know. Oh,
1: he's remarried now.
2: Oh, he's been remarried for a long, long time. Wow. Okay. Yeah. He got remarried him. pretty quickly. Yeah. Um. And they're a great match, which is so fantastic. I I really like in my yoga practice, I would put out this intention every time I'd start my practice that he would find happiness and goodness. And he did. I mean, they are hmm. a perfect pair. Um, that said, it has still been extremely difficult to co-parent with them and then also having this partner um you know it it was all challenging and I wish I had like a general like this is how you do it but Mm -hmm. I think it's just for every couple it's different and after she and I broke up it was it was I went through this period of kind of like she didn't have any kids so it was like do I date people with kids do I date people Mm -hmm. without like what's the right match um and you know and I I still don't really have the answer to that, but it it was a lot of trying to figure that out. Um,
1: wow. Yeah, because cool. kids take
2: a lot of energy, you know.
1: Did, did, did yeah. you go to the dating apps and stuff like that? Everyone's so it curious dating about-
2: apps, yeah. I mean, I, I was essentially, I think I was like maybe about, we met when I was 33, so I was like 38 and a half, I would say, by the time we broke up. And that was my first time being like a single lesbian in the world, and I was just like, oh my gosh, who I don't even know because I didn't know I was attracted to her when I met her. Like it, I was just obsessed with her. Um, so, and it was never like, Oh my God, she's so beautiful. Or so my type, it was just like, she was a human that for some reason I felt pulled toward. Mm -hmm. So when I was then single, I was like, no idea where to find a person, you know, like what, like <laughs> on apps, I don't even, I'm looking at these women. I don't even know what I'm looking for. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, how am I supposed to tell by a picture? So I went through this whole period and I created this whole scale about attraction and I had all these theories. I mean, it was, it was actually, you, very- love, you love data, don't you? I do. I do. I love collecting data. I'm just like, so into that. So, um, I mean, I ended up kind of figuring, I've, I've basically always been with, more or less the same type of person but I just didn't know that initially so yeah I mean dating apps um has been how I've met basically every partner except for my current partner yeah and she's
1: she's adorable
2: yeah she's awesome
1: yeah she's really cool I'm enjoying just getting to know her through her videos and stuff like that so
2: so prior
0: prior to that first partner that you had Was that like really just like your first introduction, like you you, to yourself, like you didn't know prior to that, that you were attracted to women or was that just kind of like, that was the catalyst and you didn't know before that?
2: Oh no, I, I knew, I knew, I mean, I knew, knew, but in a very subconscious way. Mm. So like while my, my husband would travel about four months out of the year for his business, And when he was gone, I would be reading lesbian novels and I'd be renting all the lesbian dramas. And um, I definitely had some attractions when I was younger. But and looking back now, I can call them out even going back to like when I was 10, 11, 12. But I just never I didn't know that what I was feeling was attraction. And I think Mm. a lot of that is because of also how we're um, socialized and conditioned, which is, you know, about the male gaze, which is like, that's Mm. what's supposed to give you, like, if you can attract the male gaze, then that gives you those feelings. And those are the feelings you're supposed to have. Like, it was just so confusing. So I had all the feelings around certain girls, but I didn't know what those feelings meant. And instead I was conditioned to attract the male gaze. And that gave me a feeling of value and worthiness and power. Mm. And so, no, I mean, it was it's very very clear. I had friends also ask me if I wanted to like pull around and try it out. And I was always like, Oh no, no, no. You know, I, I literally turned them down. Um, until this sort of like, I'd say September 11th, it was, it was just, I'd been watching the videos and reading the novels and all of that prior Mm -hmm. to September 11th. So that was the moment where I was just like, okay, I'm unhappy and I need to like live my truth. And then I opened up and then I started looking around and that's, that was um, September of 2001, and it was September. I'm sorry, it was July of 2002 when I met her. So it was a very short, not even a year until I met her.
1: It's interesting that 9/11 ended up being your catalyst for that change because I was trying to think of myself during that time living in LA. Um, my part, my partner and I at the time were remodeling our home off of Melrose, and our bed had been moved into our newly renovated kitchen. It was that big that we could like, where before the dining table got or, you know, what shit. And then there was the TV up on our, um, up on part of the island, you know, where I could watch TV. And I was literally supposed to fly out that morning to Logan for, I was working for uh, Rockport Shoes. And so we were going to have our sales meeting. And all of a sudden it was like, you know, I was getting texts from the East Coast, my East Coast partner, friends and stuff saying, hey, turn on the news. And then I just sat there for 17 hours. And it for me, that was, I mean, 9-11 for me was more about, I think with, with probably a lot of other people, it was just more feeling like, wow, we're not safe any longer in our country. And, but it didn't make me like, want to change a bunch of stuff because i was pretty content at that moment it was covid that for me really propelled the the divorce in my mind and that had kind of cemented like wow i love our unit but we've grown apart mm-hmm. and it's time it's just time to make changes for our own benefits so it's fascinating cuz you're literally the first person I heard that really wanted to change their life after 9/11. But then again, I haven't asked that question a lot. So now I'm like super curious to like I'm going to go around the room and my friends and just say like <laughs> did 9/11 spur any changes for you cuz I think that's kind of that's kind of
0: fascinating. Do you River where were you during 9/11? <laughs> I'm giggling because as you're talking about this so I was 12. <laughs> okay, that's true. <laughs> I was well but but as I was thinking about this. So I was 12 and I was in a period of my life where that year I actually, my mom and I had a conversation um, where she, and I was um, just a little bit of context. I grew up in a religious cult. And so my family was very conservative Christian, very religious. Um, and that year, my mom pulled me aside for a conversation and she said, you know, I think it's time that you know that women love other women and that's a sin. And had a whole conversation around that. So right around that time, I was being introduced to this concept that women love other women. But it was a very shameful, sinful thing. Um, And had some family members confess at that same time that they had had thoughts about women and they felt so sinful. So my introduction to... um, some of the thoughts I was already having and, and kind of knowing that I was attracted to other girls um, was very quickly met with. It's a sin. It's shameful. So it's just, it's interesting to hear like the comparison between different stages we were at. at that I point know in time. it's like,
1: I know <laughs> that's what I was just thinking. Like, it's really fascinating that three of us, you know, in very different stages of our yeah. life had these unique thoughts, obviously, but that's interesting around shame because, like Samantha, there must be a lot of, a lot of shame that comes with some of your most favorite clients, you know, and things like that when they're going through this.
2: Yes. And that is certainly from like what you said, River, you know, religion mm-hmm. and really just the conditioning, the patriarchy mm-hmm. and the things that we learn. Um, yeah. There's tons of shame, guilt and anxiety. I do a lot of teaching about that in my boot camp program mm-hmm. just so that, Folks understand what is actually happening to them when they're feeling those things. Um, and because they're emotions that really get you stuck. Yeah. There's like yeah. not a lot of movement in shame or in guilt, you know? And no. so And yeah. is that
1: is that coming from childhood trauma? Like, where does all of that reside? Where does it come from?
2: I mean, I, the way my the way I look at it is that shame, guilt, and anxiety are inhibitory emotions. And what they do is they keep you away from your core emotions. And the reason that they do that is because wherever, so we're born with core emotions. Every single human is born with the same core emotions. But then when you're growing up and you're in a family or in a community where certain emotions are not allowed and actually mm-hmm. like you're shamed for having them or you're sent to your room for having them so now you're alone you don't even know how to handle these emotions but you're now alone with them or mm-hmm. they're just not acceptable like you know you're a girl you're not allowed to be angry or something like that mm-hmm. Um, what happens is like with that one would be you get filled with shame so instead of Feeling the anger, which is not allowed, Mm. our systems use these other things, shame, guilt, and anxiety to inhibit you from feeling the core emotion. And they keep you in these other sort of higher level emotions. Well, the shame, guilt, and anxiety inhibitory emotions that just they're, they're protective. It's trying Mm -hmm. to protect you from feeling what you're actually feeling because that is not accepted or allowed. Mm. How, how
1: did the breakthroughs happen when, with, with some of these women?
2: Yeah, it's just, it's, I mean, it's really, really the unpacking it's, Mm -hmm. you know, starting from the beginning. I start from the very beginning with folks. We start with um, sexual narratives. Mm -hmm. How, how did you become a sexual human in the world? What did you learn about yourself as a sexual human in the world? Um, based on your earliest, earliest memories, earliest of time, family of origin, you know, what you saw, what you were told, what you experienced um, around affection, around puberty, around anything sexual, like what were the narratives that you carried from that time and the beliefs that were instilled in you from that time, and then starting to unpack those by becoming aware of what they are and then being like, do those actually align with where you are today?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. River and I both have young daughters, right? And I'm mm-hmm. I'm working on being a very intentional parent, mm-hmm. and coming from it as a consci- very conscious parenting. Uh, when she says she loves her body, I say, "Good. You you should love your body. It's absolutely beautiful for being a, a beautiful eleven-year-old." Mm-hmm you know, girl. And I've asked her since she was five also. And it, and it was interesting because I was talking about this with some people last night, um, about how I've normalized asking her if she, if she feels, if she feels like a, her herself in her body.
2: And I've asked mm. this
1: from her about her since she was five. So <laughs> Yeah. So I literally say, um, I like say, baby, do you feel like a girl? Like, do you match your parts? Like, do you like your boobies? Do you like your, you know, part, you know, your bits and, and she and you know, now that she's 11, she'll be like, Oh yeah, look at this. Look at mom. You know, she's like coming out of a shower and she's like, look at me, you know? And, and, I, and I just marvel. And I'm just like, yes, I broke a generational ancestral curse, female. And the yeah. other thing that I'm really trying to teach her now is to not say sorry for nothing. I'm like, if you hurt someone's feeling, absolutely. That warrants it. But I'm like, even my friends, they're catching themselves on text now because I'm like, stop saying sorry. Like we Mm -hmm. have to help each other as women, as, as a collective of saying, and and my friends will be like, Hey, sorry, I didn't get back to you. Like, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Oh my God, you had a life. It's okay. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's cool. Like texting is like, come back to me in two days, three days. I mean, I may worry about you because it's not the typical cadence, but you don't have to apologize for not like responding fast. It's not like it's a work thing or whatever. And you have to like get back to, so it's really fascinating. So with these little girls, like you raise these beautiful three humans Like, what are a couple of other maybe tips that would be great for us to start those conversations with our daughters, especially, um, you know, to allow them to not have like to feel that shame. Like, I mean, she's going to be in therapy at some point in her life. Like we all have to do it at some point. (laughs) Um, and I'm okay with that. I just don't want to add to that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I understand that, um, And it sounds like you're doing a beautiful job of really um, almost like really teaching her to be embodied, which is something that that is so hard. Um, I I think for humans, not just Mm -hmm. women, really, I think for everybody, it's very hard to know what it feels like in your body. So yeah, I mean, what you're already doing a lot of it. I think, um, you know, focusing on like what feels good, like what feels like, does that feel good? Does that feel like, like encouraging pleasure kind of feelings because I think women have such a hard time around receiving pleasure whether Mm -hmm. that is even receiving a compliment um or just something that like feels good you know to them it's like really encouraging pleasure and that that's okay and that that's it's more than okay it's like you know could be daily pleasure in whatever way that looks Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I also think just being very open and sort of like um, helping them to give words to what they're feeling I mean she's 11 it sounds like she already has a lot of words but for younger kids just to narrate for them like what you're seeing if they don't have the words for it you can also just speak to what you're seeing them show in their behaviors and kind of create a a narration around it Mm -hmm. so that you're teaching them how to have language around what they're feeling Mm -hmm. because without that, you become an adult that has no language around what you're Mm -hmm. feeling. And that is a difficult place to navigate life from. And maybe you can do it in a work setting, but in a relational setting, it's going to be very challenging.
1: Did the majority Mm -hmm. of your later in lifers have, um, have children of their own or, I mean, is that a common theme?
2: I would, you know, it's, it's, I have women that I've worked with that are in their twenties that have been with a boyfriend for eight years and, um, no children, not married. Um, I have women who have never really had relationships with either men or women, um, and that are just, that really thought they were asexual actually, and that mm-hmm. are just starting to like accept and allow themselves to be attracted to women and start dating and have sexual experiences for the first time. Then I have women that have been married for 25 years and have two kids that are teenagers. And so it's like, I mean, I have somebody who just joined this recent boot camp that's starting in September who called me this weekend and she's 67 was married for 40 years and just got divorced four years ago and had relationships with women before she got married. um, But then was with a man for 40 years. And I mean, like in tears about like having spent 40 years with someone who had no emotional intelligence or space Mm. for anything. and just, you know, so it's like, it's like, just as unique as every human is it's like each experience of and it's it's wild how the community comes together cuz everybody is really someplace else but nobody's alone because we're all in it together and so it just creates this like i mean the container is like such good feels and especially for me because it's so full circle it's like this energy flow of like i really lived through a lot of difficulty mm. and now i'm like helping people You're giving and- back I'm giving back, but it, and it like, and it's just, I get such pride and in, in watching these women be like courageous and just watching them come into themselves and the changes, like the physical changes and you can just see happening in them. It's just amazing. It's so amazing. I,
1: I love that. I, it's interesting because when I talk to some of my friends who are in the Club Lilies group, you know, and the Arizona group is very connected, very tight knit group. And I've really enjoyed getting to know all of them and hold space for them and, you know, just be an ear when I need to. But the one thing that um always really tugs at my heartstrings is when they're mourning what they've lost out on or mm-hmm. what they think they've just missed out on. And River, it's like, oh, I just want to hold them in that moment and tell them that the fact is that they 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 push through it they're here now and they're living their life and to sort of give themselves grace over mm-hmm. that but it's yeah. it's a real thing yeah
2: yeah yeah i think the the grieving you know um
1: that's it the grieving
2: I, yeah the grieving i think it's you know and the grieving and the guilt right those are the two things that come up for me so there's a the women that i work with it's that they feel so guilty Um, And I think a lot of the guilt and maybe the anxiety is covering up some of the sadness Mm -hmm. and the loss, which is like twofold, right? It's like, oh, I spent 30 years not really being authentically who I am, not really being able to connect to myself. So I lost, it's like I lost 30 years of my life in a way. And then also grieving what you thought you wanted, and then Mm. don't want that and realize you don't want that. But like, it was this thing that you thought was going to make you happy. And now you're letting that go. So it's like the grieving and the loss is huge. And I encourage everybody to just sit in that, like Mm. to literally just allow it like, however it shows up, whether you write it out or you just need to cry for days or months, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, but like, you can't, it's going to show up somewhere if you don't allow yourself to feel it when it's there, you know, it's going to show up somewhere down the road or it's going to show up as guilt and anxiety. Um, so just feel your feelings all the way through. It's something I always say.
0: So we've talked about like shame and guilt and anxiety. Um, where does, where does fear come into play with that? Like, do you see that a lot, a lot of fear and, and kind of how do you address that with people? Like the fears they have around what they're exploring and being curious
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, again, it's like some of that is in the, is part of the unpacking that I do with people. Mm -hmm. So fear is a core emotion. So it's valid. So the first thing I do is validate them. Like Mm -hmm. that's really valid that you're feeling fear. This is friggin' scary, you know, Mm -hmm. like really scary. You're going from what you knew you were not only like, supposed to do but there was this whole plan for you and you know exactly how to fit in and what role to play and how to show up like there's a script and you just have to play that role and Mm -hmm. you know that that's for a lot of people they think that that is very relieving because if they didn't have that they don't know what they would do so going into being a queer human is like you lose the script you know Mm -hmm. there is no like you're supposed to do anything And so I validate that that is really scary. And then it's starting to unpack. Let's talk about the fear. Let's roll the tape out to the end. Tell me the things that that you're scared about. Like, let's, okay. And then, and then what's going to happen? And then what's going to happen? And then what's going to happen? And typically at the end of all, I mean, things people have fear of at the end of it, it's a fear of being alone. I mean, that is just what comes up for most people.
1: So out of the whole, the full circle moment is I'm, I have this family. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's just okay. I'm not super happy, but I have these beautiful little kids, whatever. And, you know, everyone's accepting my, my in-laws, my parents, we all come together for holidays. So all of a sudden that, that fear in the face and feeling like at the end of the day, it's just, Feeling alone. So, how do you combat that? Or what suggestions do you tell? Because there is Club Lilies out there and there are like, you know, ways to make and build community. Is that sort of the stepping stones for you? Is like find friends. Like,
2: yeah. I mean, honestly, like at this point, most of the people that I work with do do the community piece that I offer. So, they're in my community program, which is the boot camp. So, there is community and they mm-hmm. are supporting each other at the same time that they're working with me um, and, you know, really at the end of the day, it's like, you know, it's coaching. I mean, it's coaching because it's like, you know, I've therapy clients that I've been seeing for 14 years. Right. But with the coaching clients, you know, what they get out of a bootcamp transformation wise is huge. And then they continue on and continue to have community and you see people make changes in a very short time, like in a year. I've seen people who have been married for 33 years, just completely, you know, now they have a girlfriend and they're separated from their spouse and they came out to their adult children and they're living much more authentically. And the fear of being alone is, you know, I think, so there's this thing called traumatic aloneness, which is what Mm -hmm. you experience as a child. When you are left alone with your emotions, when you are too young to know what to do with them. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like trauma inducing because you are mm-hmm. sent away and you have no way to handle what's happening for you. Mm-hmm. So there is, there is like a traumatic aloneness, or even like if you're bullied as a little kid and you can't mm-hmm. fit into the group, like you are traumatically alone. Mm-hmm. So I try to help people un untangle those wires mm-hmm. of, a childhood traumatic aloneness Mm -hmm. and being alone as an adult, Mm. because as adults, we actually have the tools to be alone and, Mm -hmm. you know, and we have the tools to work on not being alone and finding community. Whereas when you're a kid, you can't do that. Like you're in your parents' house. If you're sent to your room or you're locked at home alone and your family leaves you for the day or whatever it is, you have no tools. Like you are stuck. Mm -hmm. As an adult, we have agency. Like we have, we can make choices, right? We can can change and affect change in our own lives that we can't do as children. So I try to help people understand the difference between traumatic aloneness and help them heal some of that Mm -hmm. as well as see that you know, as an adult, like you can show up for yourself, Mm -hmm. you can have your own back, you can take care of yourself so that they're not going through the world, just like scanning for somebody to take care of them, because that's also not going to really work if you can't take care of yourself. So it's like a lot of like, it's coaching and therapy and community, like all happening in the same space. But yes, people need to go out and find community. I mean, that's really, that's just important.
1: But day one to the 12th week must be a really amazing place to sit. And I love the fact that, well, as we were talking about just building community, like just joining your boot camp gives them 10 to 12 new friends, possibly, depending upon how big that particular group is. Yes. And, yes. Do, and, and then, I mean, that's really cool. So they're, they're digging out of a lot of information and a lot of sadness and and processing, but they're hearing other people so they don't feel alone immediately, day one, basically. Mm-hmm. And then that process, oh, man, I just, I, I can't even imagine how rewarding that must be
2: so rewarding. I mean, it's like, it like brings me to tears. I mean, at the end of a boot camp, it's like, I mean, honestly, like people are in tears at the end of a boot camp. Mm-hmm. and I just started creating, um, an alumni support circle. So now
1: that's what I was in- going to ask you if they yeah. have like access to other, other folks that went through program. your program. Yeah.
2: Yes. 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 I have a private mm-hmm. network where all of the women are, so they can access each other through there, but I just started running, a um, twice a month um, support circle call coaching call. So, which has just been fantastic. And I think we'll keep growing, but really every cohort, every bootcamp, they have all stayed in touch even without me doing that. Cause I was like busy trying mm. to just create things and also have a full-time practice. So, you know, they, they were doing their own zoom calls, um, and, and visiting each other and traveling together. Oh. And yeah, so it's been, that's it's beautiful. Been yeah. <laughs> So what's next for you? What's like, you know,
1: and where do you want to see your practice and and this this beautiful, you know, community that you're starting to create? Where do you see this going? And like, what's your dream with all of that?
2: Yeah. um, I mean, it's been it's been about two and a half years since I started it. So it's not very long. Um, And my dream is really at this point and i just i'm i'm also working with a coach so she's helping me with that um but my dream is to really cut back my private practice um maybe to like 12 people a week that's it for for therapy clients and to run let's say three boot camps a year they're 12 weeks each um really keep building this sort of community on the back end of like the support um and you know, p- create different programs. Um you know, I love communication, teaching people how to communicate directly, um, mm-hmm. teaching people about just relationships and Just, I mean, there are so many things I want to teach, but I just, I don't have enough time. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm hoping to scale back on my private practice and I'm going to, I'm getting set up to actually let my clients know, which is not going to be an easy thing to do um, for people who have been seeing me for a long time, that they're going to have to probably find somebody new um, and start to just really throw myself more into the coaching and really teaching and you know really at the end of the day it's like I've said this that I feel a little bit like I have this key to like unlock the prison cells that women find themselves in because of the conditioning like Mm -hmm. I I can help you get out of that it doesn't even you don't you can be married to a man like it's not even just about that I mean this is just my niche area but like this is just about how you're living by you know living by shoulds you know, I should this and I should that and like, no, you know, and so I just, it it can get very big, but I'm trying to keep it very small and focused because that's how it's happening. That's how it really works, I think. But yeah, I mean, I'm not sure where it's all going to go, but it's very exciting.
1: Do you see yourself like doing a retreat in person and things like that?
2: Yeah. I mean, Heather, my partner, Heather, she loves that idea and she's really into retreats. I've said to her because, so I'm highly introverted, which you probably would never get from my TikToks or Instagram. You'd be like, wait, what? Um, But I am, I'm very introverted and also being in groups. I'm very sensitive to energy. So having to pick up on a lot of different people's energies and navigate that, that, navigating that, it feels very hard for me. I mean, I honestly, if you told me two and a half years ago that I'd be where I am now or that I could be on a podcast or that I could create TikToks or Instagram reels, um, or run, you know, groups with 12 people in them, I'd tell you you're crazy and that you're thinking about a different <laughs> person.
1: So I relate to that possible. so much.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's possible maybe one day I, people have asked me repeatedly, like, when are you doing a retreat? Can you please do something in person? And I'm just like, oh
0: my God, I need to hug in the It sounds like so much work. (laughs) Yeah, mental
1: work. Yes, yes.
2: yes.
1: (laughs) But Heather's a good balance for you in that sense, right?
2: She's a great balance. Um, you know, yes, she's a great balance. And and we'll see. I mean, I, I, you know, the retreat idea, every time I hear it, I'm just like, but how?
1: You, <laughs> you mean, need how little extrovert you know? people who are around you to facilitate so that you literally can protect your energy and then walk in, do the thing, and then literally walk back out. <laughs> yes. And kind of like, you know, from the back of the room and sort of like, I think, I think there's many ways you can do it just by having the right people around you that supports that. And, totally. and, and also like, you know, that can sort of say, okay, here's our quizzes. And then they're going to go to you and you're going to be in your room, you know, like going through it all and then like coming out and, you know, focused on, you know, one-on-ones or whatever, you know, kind of smaller, tinier groups throughout that day. But I think it's doable. And I think you have... Magic in you to have that happen. And I think the one thing that River and I are finding that this core, these guests that we're bringing on to the podcast, because this is, I mean, this lights us up. I mean, we're mm-hmm. so freaking excited to just have what we're, we're so curious as people that we're finding people that we're curious about and then getting to have like in person conversations. Like I said, yeah. it's kind of a pinch me moment to have like this conversation with you, because I've been following you for, you know, a long enough time to sort of be like, yeah, she's cool. Like I just want to be friends with her and she just has so much lovely, you know, so many amazing things to say. So I just really appreciate what you're doing for our community and for giving everybody, anybody who's going through something challenging, uh, a safe place to land because you have to be so brave. Like I take it so for granted, like river, you know, I came out at 19. Like I didn't even think I was like, yeah. oh, mom, dad, I'm gay. And they were like having their own moment with it. But then everyone was fine. I've never had any lashback from work life to per like I've just been me. Like I don't realize mm-hmm. how
0: lucky I have been for that purpose. Yeah. yeah, and you know i I kind of um like came out as bisexual when I was married. And so you know, I received a lot of, <laughs> as you can imagine, a lot of interesting conflict around that from the person I was married to and their family and my, so my family members. Um, and it's so interesting now. like being identified as bisexual, I, I even receive a lot of interesting narratives around that from people who message me. And they're like, oh, you know, you talk about how you date men, but we don't see you dating women. Like, what's the evidence that you are bisexual? And I'm like, I don't need to provide any evidence to you of my sexuality. Um, But it's just, it's so interesting how people, um, who you may not even know, expect you to performatively show the evidence of who you are and challenge you around that. It's so fascinating.
2: Yeah, I think that, I've heard that. And it can, can create insecurity, You know, I get that a lot with women who are having these feelings and they've been with a man for a really long time and they're having these feelings of attraction, but they actually haven't had the experience Mm. with a woman. And so they're kind of, they actually are doing what these people are doing to you. They're doing it to themselves, Mm -hmm. right? Is this really a a lot of gaslighting, a lot of gaslighting, a lot of doubt, like, how do I know this is real? How do I know what I'm feeling is really true? What if this Mm -hmm. isn't true? What if I end up leaving my marriage And then I find that it wasn't true. Or what if I end up alone? It's kind of like, oh my gosh, you know, like now it's based on whether or not you're going to be alone, you know, I mean, how did we get there? (laughs) I mean, so anyway, it's, yeah, I, I believe that, you know, people want evidence. People want, that's the thing. That's the opposite of curiosity. People want to know. Or can you just live in a space of not knowing and, and you can know yourself or not know with yourself, whatever's internal, but like, you don't have to show that to anybody else. Yeah, no, no, you don't owe that to anyone. (laughs) I think the only
1: thing we want to owe to ourselves or to anybody is to literally live the most authentic Mm -hmm. life that you can live, no matter who Mm -hmm. you find attractive behind closed doors or out in the world. Right. Mm That's, it's, it's neither here nor there. And that's kind of what this podcast is all about. Live out loud, Mm -hmm. live your truth, walk the walk. And regardless of, you know, what conversations are happening around you, but just trying to sit in that authentic space and to feel like we were talking about full circle, being embodied, feeling Mm -hmm. whole in your body.
2: Mm Yeah. Yeah it's a rare thing I have to say mm-hmm. for
1: most yeah. humans. Yeah, I just, yeah. I mean, that's kind of why I wanted, we wanted to create this because I wanted to give people, um, especially women, a new, you know, some new voices to hear and, you know, where, where we're not seeing the end result. Like I love, I love Glennon and her process right now. Like if you listen to, we can do hard things, which is Such an amazing podcast in itself. And, but the fact that Glennon put a, just basically put a magnifying lens on her own, you know, um, on her eating disorders and her process. And she just didn't want to show up one day all shiny and say, I'm here. And I think, you know, hi, I'm here. I'm queer and, you know, get used to it type of thing. And I think it's a really important, whether you're queer or not, it's more about, it's okay to show people the ugly bits along the way and the authentic friendships and the core people who are meant to be in your life are just going to be like, yeah, okay, let's do this thing. Like it's all good.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And,
1: And you feel like you have a good core group of people, Samantha, around you. You have some amazing support and you feel, you know, blessed in that sense or, you yeah, created I have, that for yourself
2: yeah I mean I think I've had um I would say that I I do I would say honestly that up until COVID I feel like I was probably living mostly in survival mode most of the time mm-hmm. um and and sur- and surviving you know but like it was you know it was a lot of survival mode. so I have late blooming friends. I have friends that I met back in 2003. I did a weekend workshop. I don't know if you ever heard of Joanne Fleischer. She wrote the book, um, Married to a Man in Love with a Woman. Hmm. And she's probably in her 80s now. But back then, she was the first. I mean, I was like, okay, I am the only woman in the world who is feeling these things. I I don't know anybody who's gone through this. Like, I don't know how to go through this. And online, she had like a posting board. And it was called Ask Joanne. And it was all women Hmm. writing in on this topic. And it turns out she was out of Philadelphia that she had weekend workshops. So I went to one of her weekend workshops back in 2003. There were 20 women from all around the world who were married to men um, and in love with a woman or in love with women in general. And um, so I met friends there that I still, I'm just celebrating my 20 year anniversary with one of my friends. We're going to Iceland in September to hike um but oh, yeah <laughs> i have like i have late blooming friends that are close friends i have therapist friends coach friends um but i am a pretty introverted um very happy spending time with myself or with my person or with my few people kind of person definitely not like a i need to go out and do the latest anything person so oh, right. yeah yeah That's my awesome. dogs are my support system <laughs>
1: Oh my God. <laughs> I'm obsessed with my dogs.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <Same>. <laughs> I know dogs are literally the best. And that's that's funny because uh, there's so many of my friends who have just been, just feel lonely. I mean, they're just lonely after COVID and there's just th- this deep low. And I'm like, get a dog, just get a dog. <laughs> they get you out. People talk to you for even on the walks, like you know, there's just this lovely commonality that everybody is gravitates towards a friendly, sweet animal. And I'm like, I just never feel lonely the minute I leave my house with Cooper, you know, it's just, it's just really nice. Well, I think, I think you're awesome of course. And I'm so grateful that you spent time with us today and, and are giving of yourself every day
0: in your movement and, River, we're so lucky. Yeah, I know. Thank you so much for being here. This has been such a juicy conversation. I love it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's been great. Thank you for having me on.
0: I very much appreciate you.
1: And uh, and we're so excited to see where things go with you next. And we'll be following. And I I know I can't wait to introduce more people to you. So, I mean, that's my mission is to just spread good people. And I'm super excited about
0: it. Yeah.